there's a common phrase that we will all want to keep in mind at Christmas as we unwrap certain gifts. It's the thought that counts. Is that true? Is it the thought that counts and not the actual gift that you receive? If it is, sometimes it has made me wonder, well, I wonder what is the thought behind that gift I just received? <laughs> doesn't seem to make any sense. I remember when I was a young teenager, a family member gave me a gift at Christmas. I unwrapped it, and it was a, a leather, I don't know what to call it, a leather man bracelet, I guess you would call it. <laughs> and if, guys, if you have a, a leather man bracelet, there's nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't for me. It didn't match my style. And I wondered, what is this for? Did you mean to give this gift to me? What is the meaning of this gift, and what is it for? So you may ask that question at Christmas. What is this gift for? And as we think about Christmas, one of the common refrains of the meaning of Christmas is Christmas is about God's gift of His Son to us. Right? That's what children may repeat. That's what we re may repeat. This is the meaning of Christmas. God's gift of His Son to us. And it is absolutely right. But many people may wonder, but what is it for? A gift of a person? A gift of a son? How is that a gift? Like, what do I do with this gift? Was this gift meant for me? What is the meaning of it? What is it good for? Well, as we come to this passage describing the birth of Jesus, I want us to consider that question. What is this gift for, specifically related to the two names which are given to our Savior in this passage? That he will be called Jesus and that he will be called Emmanuel. Before we get there, we have a part of the story, we have the first part of the story to, to walk our, our way through it. Now, the, you see chapter 1, it's made up of two parts. It's the genealogy of Jesus Christ, you see in verse 1, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So from the air, very outset of Matthew's gospel, he is proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, that is the one who was promised from of old. The one who would come and set all things right. The anointed one who would come and change all things. He's connected with David. He's the son of David. David, of course, was promised an everlasting kingdom. Kingdom which would have no end. He's described as the son of Abraham. The promise was given to Abraham that your offspring will be like the stars of the sky. And then the second half of chapter 1, we see the circumstances concerning his birth. See that in verse 18, he again describes Jesus as the Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, took place in this way. When Mary's mother had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. She was, Mary was betrothed to Joseph, not simply an engagement as we might consider it. Engagements can be broken off pretty easily. This would be more like a divorce if they were to get separated. They were as good as married, yet uh, not with consummation of the marriage. And yet, in the midst of all this, 
the author says she was found to be with child. She's pregnant without having come together with Joseph in an intimate manner. And twice we read that this child, what is within her, is from the Holy Spirit. Verses 18 and verse 20. We have this miraculous, supernatural, mysterious story taking place already. Joseph, notice how he is described. He's described as a just man. Even though, what would you do if you were betrothed to a woman and you found out she was pregnant and you had not been with her intimately? And yet he, he knew that it would have been, been right to put her away and yet he chose to do so in such a way that would have put her to shame, to do it discreetly. He was a just man. He was considering all of these things, perhaps as he laid in his bed at night when an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. We talked already about revelation and how the Lord reveals himself to us. And he reveals himself to us in creation and in special revelation in the word of God. And in some miraculous times such as took place here in the gospel, he revealed himself from messages, angels of the Lord. In this circumstance, a dream. Now, I would encourage you to be careful about, in fact, I would say don't think that your dreams are from the Lord because they can be pretty crazy. It could be pretty hard to interpret them. And yet this was a miraculous event, the birth of the Savior. An angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, speaking to him the word of the Lord. He addresses Joseph as the son of David. That surely highlighted, if the angel itself didn't, highlighted in Joseph's mind the magnificent, supernatural aspect of of what was about to be announced. You are the son of David. That perhaps would have brought up images in Joseph's mind about this King David who would have an everlasting kingdom, these promises that were made to him. And he has a message and a promise. He should take Mary as his wife because she was not unfaithful. Joseph, that's not what's going on here. Rather, her conception was from the Holy Spirit. We often speak about a miraculous birth. Of course, we, sh- we should see her birth, his birth as a natural birth, yet the conception was that which was supernatural. She conceived from the Holy Spirit. He was instructed to call his name Jesus, and a promise comes with it. For, here's why you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus, taken from Joshua, speaks to the salvation that the Lord would provide. This is the angel's explanation of why you should call him Jesus. And here's the first aspect of the answer we're looking for in the question, what is this for, this gift of God's Son to the world? What is it for? It's for the salvation of God's people. If you are a Christian, if you have come to faith in Jesus, God's gift of His Son to you is your salvation. He will save their people from their sins. The word save brings to mind, it implies that there is some peril, there's some danger, that we need to be saved, we need to be rescued. 
It implies that your soul is in danger because of your sins. Sin means missing the mark, rebelling against the God who made you. So God created you and everything in this world for His glory, that you would be a reflection of who He is, that everything you think, everything you do, everything you say would be a reflection of who He is, that other people would see you and rejoice in Him. And we have failed to live for His glory. We have sinned against Him, and as a result, we have guilt and condemnation. Here, the angel says, He will save His people from their sins. He will rescue them from what their sins deserve. He will rescue them from judgment and really eternal hell, separation from God. And notice also, not only that He will save His people from their sins, He is the one who will do the saving. This one, He will save His people from their sins. So we know that we are in a desperate place, and yet often we may think that we can do something to save ourselves. We can make amends. We can change our lives. We can break our bad habits and start good habits. Perhaps there's something we could do to bring ourselves back to a place of rightness before God. But no, He will save His people from their sins. Who will He save from their sins? His people. Jesus will save His people from their sins. We've been looking throughout the book of John And one theme that we've seen over and over again is that Jesus has a people. That God has given him a people to rescue. All those the Father gives me, I will not lose. I will never cast them out. They are mine. No one can snatch them from my hand. He has a flock. He has others who are a part of his flock that must come also. Speaking over and over again, about this people who belong to Jesus. Well, notice here, mysteriously, Jesus has a people while he is in Mary's womb. He will save his people from their sins. He has had a people from all eternity, a people who had been given him from the Father for him to save from their sins. Well, you imagine a soldier given a special task, a special mission, to undertake. And everything that he does will be aimed toward fulfilling that one task, that one mission. It doesn't mean that he won't ever do anything else except for things directly related to that task or mission. And yet, you can be sure that everything he does from his workouts to the meals that he takes to the time he goes to bed, the time he wakes up, everything is geared toward fulfilling that one task, that one mission. And Jesus's mission is to save his people from their sins. You could imagine Jesus's life from an early age as he grew into adolescence and teenage years and young adulthood. He did many different things. He displayed for us what it looked like to be a righteous and good human, a human without sin, what it truly means to be a human. He gives us a wonderful example of how to live. He did many other things that might not look related to this one task, and yet all along everything was culminating into this particular task, this particular mission, to save his people from their sins. 
The angel could have said many of other things about what Jesus would do. He would do this. He would. Do, he would. He's come to heal the sick. He's come to raise the dead. He has come to feed thousands when they only had a few pieces of fish and bread. And yet, this is what the angel says: He will save his people from their sins. This is the mission which Jesus has had from the beginning. And this is the gift at Christmas, brothers and sisters. This is, this is the why, part of the why of God's gift of His Son to us. The salvation of our souls from our sins is won by Jesus. Now, if Jesus doesn't save all of His people who have been given to Him, and if Jesus doesn't save His people from every sin that they have committed from all their sins, then he has been a failure. He will not have completed his task. But you can be assured, brothers and sisters, those of you who have come to him in repentance and faith, that every sin of yours has been paid for in full. Maybe you make it a habit of yours to examine yourself, to see if there's any sin in your life, in your heart, and that can be a good practice. Weeding out, thinking through, wanting to come to repentance in every area of your, your life. Taking a sin inventory, if you will. And it, it is, can be a good practice. It can be overwhelming. It can uh, result, if you, if you did it too often or too intensely, I guess, in a sort of obsession where you're just always filled with guilt. But I want to encourage you to try it in a different way, with a different angle. Take a sin inventory. An examination of all of the sin in your life. Specific sins, don't just think, I've committed lust or anger or I've been guilty of pride. Thinking of specific sins. Make a list in your mind. Make a list on paper. And then recall that Jesus Christ saves his people from every and all sin. Examining your sin so that then you might reflect and say, Jesus Christ has paid for this sin. He has paid for this sin and this sin and this sin. He has come to save his people from his sins. And I am a part of his people. Can you say that? That you are a part of God's people? What does it mean to be his? It means that you have come to an end of yourself, an end of thinking that you could somehow be righteous before God, confessing your sin before Him, repenting, turning, changing your mind about what sin is, and laying down before Him and saying, forgive me, I am in need of a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. Do that and you will be a part of the people of God, trusting in Jesus Christ and he has paid for your sins. So children, what is Christmas about? It is about God giving his son as a gift to us for the salvation of our souls. To save us from our sins. The author goes on to explain what has taken place in verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
this conception, this miraculous conception, this announcement of Jesus' birth, this Jesus, this one who would save his people from their sins, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. The prophet isn't mentioned by name. Rather, it's the Lord who has spoken this. And yet we know that this quote comes from Isaiah 7.14, a passage which uh, Tracy spoke of last week in his sermon from Isaiah 7 through 11 and other passages. And you remember that this prophecy was in the context of great destruction and ruin and bitterness and sorrow. This, This prophecy of one who would come A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And the author gives us the meaning, which means God with us. He doesn't want the reader to miss that. And Tracy pointed out, I think rightly, that in Isaiah 7.14, Matthew doesn't get it wrong by saying virgin. That's what the prophet spoke of in Isaiah 7.14. This virgin who would conceive and bear a son. I saw an article recently about how since Christianity is on the decline worldwide, we need to think about changing a few things. We need to... He was speaking more of our ethics and morality. But I also wonder if in the minds of some that means letting go of some things that seem really weird to modern people. Things like the virgin birth, right? Is a, is a modern person scientific with a scientific mind going to really buy this idea of a virgin birth? Maybe if we just do away with virgin birth, then we can attract more people to Christianity. Do you see the problem with that? Well, without the virgin birth, there is no Christmas. Wipe it all away. It makes no sense without the virgin birth. A Jesus who was not born of a virgin is not truly God and truly man. A Jesus born without the virgin Mary cannot save his people from their sins. It must be this one who is truly God, born, conceived of the Holy Spirit, within the womb, by the Holy Spirit, truly God and truly man. A Jesus born without the Virgin Mary is not God with us. They shall call his name Emmanuel. He gives the meaning again, which means God with us. In Jesus, we have the presence of God with us. We've seen that throughout John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God making His presence with us. What the Israelites longed for all throughout their lives, that God would make His presence known among them. Come down, God, reveal to us your glory. And in the person of Jesus Christ, he has done exactly that. 
He is the fulfillment of all the promises from the beginning to the end of the Old Testament of God being with His people. We have the presence of God in the presence of Jesus. And in Jesus' absence, we have His presence with us in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus ascended on high, he poured out his spirit upon those who belonged to him, those who were his people. And then when he returns, we will have his presence fully and completely forever when we are with him in the new heavens and the new earth. God with us. The gift of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas is God's gift of his son to save his people from his sins, their sins, and to bring the presence of God to his people. Emmanuel. Consider what it means that God is with us. You might imagine a small child in the dark and his father comes to him and there's something special there in his presence with him. There's comfort, there's security, there is strength. Fear is cast out. Well, we have all that. With God's presence, it means reconciliation with God. He has come down to do that which we could not do for ourselves. When Jesus, God in human form, lived a perfect life, suffered and died on the cross for sinners, and rose from the dead in victory over death and hell. God with us guides us into godliness and righteousness. We, we do not pursue obedience and holiness in our own strength. Rather, it is God's Spirit within us that guides us. He comforts us. He preserves us. He is the reason, brothers and sisters, you will stand firm on the last day in faith. He's the reason you will hold fast. Not because of your own inner strength or abilities of faith, but because He is preserving you by His Holy Spirit. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit, without the presence of God in us, we are lost. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. When we speak of God being with us, we aren't speaking simply of Him being beside us or inside of us. We're speaking of having God's favor upon us, meaning His His love lavished on us. God is for you, in other words. He is with you in a favorable way. And so we read the promises of Romans 8, 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who who will separate us from Christ and His love for us? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what it means to have God's presence. God with us. Receive that promise, brothers and sisters. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This then is God's gift to us at Christmas. His Son. 
This is God's gift to us. The salvation of our souls. Saving His people from their sins. God with us. Bringing His presence to us. But maybe even in asking that question, what is this gift for? We show just how far the world has strayed from its Creator. It's really an irrational sort of question when we ask, what is this gift for? As though it had no relevance to our lives. On live TV a couple of years ago, Holly Black and her son Will received a very special gift for Christmas. A special video was played as they were called up. And at the end, they had a very special video message from her husband and his dad. Sergeant Tyler Black, who had been out in missions in Iraq and in other places. He gave this special video message before he walked out on the stage and greeted his family and embraced them. And I knew what was coming, and it still brought tears to my eyes. You don't see that sort of gift and think, what is that for? You say, wow, that is so wonderful. And when we hear that our Creator, our God, has come down to us in peace and in love for our salvation and for our good, we don't ask, what is this for? We rejoice. We say, rejoice. Rejoice. Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. This is the good news, brothers and sisters. Rejoice. In God who is with us for our salvation and our good. Let's pray together.